<laughs> Welcome to Watch Out, where we dig through our DVD dungeon, where we scour the endless streaming landscape, all to help you find some kick-ass horror movies. Hello and welcome to Watch Out, the horror movie review podcast. We're glad to have you with us. Our goal is to provide you with spoiler-free reviews and recommendations for both recent films and horror classics. I am Jason the Terrible, broadcasting from Ottawa, Ontario, and I am joined from Vancouver, BC, as always, by Grave Robert Jeff. Hello. And Slicin' and Dyson and Dave. Hello! So for this episode of Watch Out Horror, we have got an interesting mini-review theme. And who picked that theme, Grave Robert Jeff? Me. And what is that theme, Grave Robber Jeff? Well, might as well just throw it right out there. Vampire movies. Vampire movies. I gotta tell you, I picked a movie that I think we could have done a feature review on, especially when you compare it to our feature review this episode, which is 1984's The Mutilator, also known as Fall Break. We're going on now. A fall break! which kind of threw me when I started watching it, and then when they started singing that catchy theme song, Fall Break. Fall Break! Yeah, it was like I was watching an 80s uh, sitcom intro. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like Perfect Strangers or... The Facts of Life. Like that. Yeah, that was awesome. Or Different Strokes or something. <laughs> oh, God. Well, Grave Robber Jeff, why did you pick Vampires as our mini-review theme? I have a much smaller DVD dungeon than you guys, but there was one I've never seen, and it was collecting dust, and it was John Carpenter's Vampires. I said, well, how can I make sure I watch it? And so I just picked vampire movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of doing it, though. I think all the theme selections have become, out of necessity, just laziness. And, no, I wouldn't say and, it's, it's a reason to watch a movie you want to see. It's making the world conform to your needs, which is good. Why not? Plus, there, Why not? there's been a lot of these movies over the years. Vampire I figured movies. Maybe there's some undiscovered gems in there. I don't know. But if you think about like the Lost Boys and Jacob's Wife. Yeah, Jacob's Wife, and then you got like From Dusk Till Dawn. So all these like crazy. Oh, there's tons. Life yeah. Force, Naked Was Space Life Vampires. Or was Life Force like an alien movie? Well, I know, but Dave last time was saying it was a vampire movie, so... Well, Alien Vampires. That was pretty sick. Fright Night? Ooh, Fright, Fright Night, Night wasn't bad. I enjoyed season one of True Blood. Did you? I did. I couldn't get into it. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know what I'm saying? 30 Days of Night? That was a vampire Oh, that one's movie. good, too. Yeah, Nosferatu? Remember that one? I remember I tried watching that back in the day, and I didn't really... Couldn't really... Probably because... At the time I tried to watch it, I was in high school, and I was into way cooler things than classic movies like Nosferatu. So I really have to rewatch that. And now you're um, a film historian who would appreciate it on so many different levels. Perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. You're right. I watched that um, not so long ago, actually. You don't say? Probably three or four months ago I watched Nosferatu. Oh, wow. Interesting. And uh, given that my mini-review pick is less than 10 years after Nosferatu came out. It's probably going to be part of the conversation. Hey, we're finally picking a classic horror movie. When I say we, you are. I guess. So we always say we pick classic horror movies, and then like we go back to like the 80s. We call them classics. I mean, I guess they are classics, but 
Well, there's like 150 best vampire movies. Oh, remember we had to make them horror. So even though I did pick Twilight originally. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I totally see. thought you were going to do Twilight. Well, tell me, tell me if you guys have seen, uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to say the top 10 on this particular website, which is, oh, I was going to give it credit and I will, but it's just IMDb. <laughs> someone's list on IMDb. It's someone's list on IMDb. Oh, is it? Yep. Why well, can't, oh, it says by IMDb best movies. It was created April 27th, 2018. All right then. So uh, let's see. We'll just do a quick top 10. Let me know if you guys have seen this. Oh, just missing number. Oh, just missing number 12 was The Lost Boys. Number 11 was From Dust Till Dawn. So there you go, Jeff. Number 10, Horror of Dracula from 1958. Nope, I haven't seen, seen that one. Number 9, Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992. Yep. I've seen a particular scene many a times. <laughs> Which one? Uh, when when Keanu Reeves is like getting it on with a bunch of gals, unbelievable. Well, he's not getting it on, but the gals are trying to get it on with him. Number eight, Vam Vampire, V A M P Y R from nineteen thirty two. Vampire. Seven is Nosferatu, the Vampire, V A M P Y R E. <laughs> That's from nineteen seventy nine. Interesting. Ooh, Dracula from nineteen thirty one. Oh, what we do in the shadows from 2014. Interesting. I haven't seen that. Yeah, I meant to watch that when I was preparing for my horror comedies list. I never did get to it, though. Yeah. Oh, it says it's hilarious. Yeah, it shows up on a lot of people's top ten lists. Get out, Tim. Okay, here's number four. would be Interview with the Vampire. Good old Tom which, Cruise. Uh, that has a, little, uh, has a little connection to my choice tonight. Uh, number three, The Night Stalker, which was a 1972 TV movie. Interesting. Number three vampire movie of all time, The Night Stalker. Uh, number two is one of my favorite movies of all time, Let the Right One In. Oh, yes. Right, right. Yeah, from 2008. And then, uh, obviously, number one, I shouldn't say obviously, but it's one we just touched on, was Nosferatu from 1922. All right. So I haven't seen many of those. <laughs> Interesting <laughs> that that was number one. Yeah, get out of town. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Your Blade. Blade was a vampire movie. But that's true. Well, it's it's interesting how many vampire movies have been turned into action movies. So they're not quite like they're they're mostly action and not really straddling that line with horror so much that's anymore. True. That's true. Yeah. Oh, the Monster Squad was sick. Remember that? I watched that when I was young. The Monster Squad. Does anybody yeah. else remember that, or is it just me? I must have seen it when I was a kid. I think I only saw it because you guys watched it. Oh, Near Dark with Bill Pullman. Or sorry, Bill, you're, Bill Paxton. <laughs> you're still going down that big list? Yeah, yeah. It's just interesting. There's a lot of good uh, a lot of good goddamn horror. Oh, there's Salem's Lot, 1979. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fellas. That's enough about uh, other movies. Let's talk about the ones we started. Jason, why don't you take us on a trip to your DVD country? Jason the Terribles, DVD Dungeon. Well, thank you very much, Slice and Dice and Dave. And I'm going to take us all the way back to 1931. And yes, we are going to talk about the OG Dracula. 
All right, so like I said, this is something that I think we could have a whole feature review about because there's so much history behind this movie and, and how it plugs into the history of the Universal monster movies and the Universal film studio in general. There's just so much here. But I want to tackle this one from the perspective of, hey, should you watch this? If you haven't seen it yet, should you watch it? So yeah, let's see if we can answer that question. This is directed by... Todd Browning, who did a lot of silent films around that time. In fact, he was mostly doing silent films, and Dracula was one of the first films that he did that had any sound involved. So there were a lot of reports that he was a bit scared of doing too much dialogue, and so there are a lot of long and silent scenes in this movie. Todd Browning, you might also associate with his controversial movie Freaks, which was pretty immediately banned back then, but has since become quite a cult classic. So yes, this was based on Bram Stoker's novel from 1897. Well, well hold, hold on, Jay. What was the name of what was the name of the novel? It was Dracula. <laughs> I wanted to make sure you said it. Thank you very much. All right. So a little bit of the history here: the adaptation of the novel. The first adaptations were were stage plays, and most of them in Europe. It did make its way to the United States, where there was a Broadway production. And by the time they got around to casting Dracula, they had pretty much run out of money. And I'm talking about the Broadway production here. They had pretty much run out of money. So they needed to find someone that would work really cheaply. And they found this guy named Bela Lugosi, who was an immigrant from Hungary who landed in the United States in 1920. He didn't know a lot of English. He started his acting career learning his lines phonetically. By the time he was in the Dracula Broadway show, his English was improving quite a bit, but he had that wonderful Hungarian accent, which everyone just associates with Dracula now. When Universal decided to make Dracula into a feature film, they actually had no intention of using Bela Lugosi as the actor in the feature film, even though he had played Dracula hundreds of times by this point. Bela Lugosi had to actually lobby quite hard to be considered, and originally the the role was going to go to Lon Chaney Sr., but Lon Chaney Sr. actually died the year before they were going to start filming, so they, they did have to find someone else to play Dracula, and Bela Lugosi finally convinced them that it should be him. little quick trivia for you guys off the cuff. I'm sure most people realize that Bela Lugosi is famous for playing Count Dracula. How many times did Bela Lugosi play Dracula in his feature film career? So here's, here's the question. Was just it, asked us. Was it A, 15 times? Was it B, 10 times? Was it C, 5 times? Or was it D, 2 times? 15 times. Slice and Dice and Dave says 15 times. Grave Robber Jeff, what's your answer? Five. Five times. Well, this surprised me as well, guys. He actually played Count Dracula twice. Oh. He played Count Dracula in this Dracula movie. He also played Count Dracula in Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. I think he played other vampire roles, but he only ever played Dracula twice, which is interesting given how famous he was for it. All right, so joining Bela Lugosi on the cast was Helen Chandler as Mina Seward, David Manners as John Harker, 
Dwight Fry as Renfield. Edward Van Sloan as Van Helsing. Herbert Bunston as Dr. Seward. Francis Dade as Lucy Weston. And a couple of other people as a couple of other people. All right, so the movie starts with Renfield. It's an amazing performance by Dwight Fry. It's so weird, but I'll get to that in a second. Renfield is a real estate agent, and he's traveling to Transylvania to Count Dracula's castle to help him sign some papers so that he can move to England. Yes, Count Dracula wants to move to England because I think he's kind of tired of terrorizing the mountain folk. Renfield shows up. They sign the papers, then Count Dracula proceeds to attack him and turn him into his slave. No! When they show up in England, Renfield has gone pretty completely crazy. And he's got this laugh going on that you guys haven't seen Puppet Master, but there's a puppet in Puppet Master called Six Shooter. I think that's his name. He's got six arms and he's got a gun in each arm, so he's called Six Shooter. Well, that would make sense. Yeah, and he never talks. He just laughs. And it's like this laugh. And that's exactly how Renfield laughs in this movie. It's very weird. And so I wonder if the Six Shooter thing is copying that laugh in kind of a know kind of making an homage to that but because the six shooter puppet sort of has the same toothy grin that that renfield has as well i wonder if anyone's tried to draw that parallel before anyway count dracula starts to set up shop in england he's he's renting this place that's right beside a mental sanitarium place and that's where renfield has been committed the doctor at this sanitarium dr seward he's got a daughter named mina and Mina's got a friend named Lucy. Count Dracula takes a liking to these two women. He does some very Dracula things to them. So Van Helsing shows up, and in concert with Dr. Seward, they start to piece together what Dracula is and try to figure out how to stop him from from attacking these women. Now, did they ever explore the origin story? About how Count Dracula became a vampire in the first place? Yeah. Well, that wasn't part of this movie. The intention here is that Count Dracula has been alive for hundreds and hundreds of years, so no one really knows what his, what his origin is, or at least they don't get into that at all in this movie. So yeah, should you watch this? Well, obviously, if you're interested in the history of film or the history of horror movies, then yes, you should watch this. And if you are interested in the history of film, you probably have watched it already. I've seen it twice now. And you do have to really have in mind the significance of of the story and the character and also the significance of the fact that this was early days of filmmaking. Like, this was one of the... I'm not sure how many movies with sound had been made up to this point. It was still a very new thing. There was also no score whatsoever because they didn't think audiences would understand if there was just music coming from nowhere, Right. Interestingly, in 1998, Universal hired Philip Glass to create an actual score for this movie. And on the DVD set that I have, you can listen to the movie either with the original score, which is pretty nothing, or with the Philip Glass score. And I've only listened to it in the original format so far. So when you think of horror movies and you think of vampire movies in general, a lot of the tropes originated with this movie. So... You get a very scary castle with cobwebs and spiders and bats and armadillos, weirdly enough. But a lot of that visual iconography originated with this movie. So 
I mean, I think they kept a lot of the same sets for a while after as well, because they're really quite intricate. The visuals are pretty amazing in a lot of places, and it didn't have a huge budget because 1931 was the beginning of the Great Depression, and they originally wanted to do a huge, big, big-budget version that would really stick closely to the novel, but they ended up scaling back and, and really just filming a, a film version of the play instead. As for how Dracula behaves, what's really interesting is that he never shows fangs in this movie. And what? yeah, you do not see vampire fangs in Dracula. And you actually see no violence whatsoever. Whenever whenever he goes in to bite someone's neck, it just cuts away at the last minute. The reaction of theater goers way back then was was to faint in shock at seeing this, and it just goes to show in the the intervening decades since just how desensitized as a society we've become because this is not a scary movie now, but back then it was terrifying. Dracula still reacts pretty dramatically to a cross. You don't see him in in a mirror reflection, which becomes a becomes an interesting plot point. Um, was there anybody wearing garlic necklaces? There was no garlic, but there was wolfsbane. And so I don't know if wolfsbane is actually another form of garlic or not. That would be that would make a lot of sense, but I didn't look into that. They're, they talked about having wolfsbane all over the place to try to protect against Dracula. One last thing I wanted to say was that at the same time that this was filmed, there was a Spanish version filmed. The way they did it was actually pretty amazing. The The English version would film the scenes during the day, and then when they were done, the Spanish crew would come in and film all night on the same sets, doing the same scenes. The Spanish crew would see the dailies from the English crew, and they'd be like, well, screw that, we're going to do better than they did. And so a lot of people think that the Spanish version actually is better technically than, than the English version. And of course, the reason why they do that, why they make a totally separate movie in Spanish is because because of the advent of, of sound films, they didn't yet know how to dub into foreign languages. So instead of just taking the same movie in English and having someone speak in Spanish over top of it, they created a whole new movie instead. All right. I think that felt like a little feature review, but... It sure did, pal. We haven't rated it yet. Rating it's an issue because you really can't compare it to today's horror movies. I do have a lot of issues with some parts of this movie, of, of the story and, and things like that. Like some of it's just kind of quaint now. So I'm going to come in with a seven because I think it's something that you definitely should see, but you should also go in there knowing what to expect, right? Older movies just are not the same. They don't move as quickly as they do these days. Yeah, if you've seen a million vampire movies, you're probably going to be underwhelmed by the amount of vampire action in this one. You're going to enjoy it more if you're going in kind of as a as a classic movie research project. It's definitely worth seeing. People are going to be watching this one for, you know, many generations to come, I think, because it, it really is just a, such an influential classic. So that's my pick, Dracula, 1931. Interesting. Hey, can any of our listeners uh, watch it online anywhere, or would they have to purchase the DVD? Well, that's a great question, Slice and Dice and Dave. Thank you. In Canada, it's available to rent. In the United States, it's available to rent. If you want to see it, you're going to have to fork over the uh, $3.99 or some such amount. I think it's definitely worth that. 
even if you're just curious. Yeah, I hear about Dracula. It just reminds me of all those like Simpsons Halloween shows, <laughs> and how, how how I just like appreciated the the simple jokes so much, and even today, like whenever I hear Transylvania, I think of the scene where Homer's like, "Yeah, Mr. Burns invited us out to his house in." Pennsylvania. <laughs> and the roadside's like, welcome to Pennsylvania. It's got blood all over it. Ah, I don't know. I know this isn't a Simpsons podcast. Goes, I just love Dad, it. That, that's his crotch. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you want to stake him in the heart? <laughs> Die, you evil. Dad, that's his crotch. All right, well, Slice and Dice and Dave, let's go into your vampire pick. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This week's episode of Slice and Dice and Dave's Screaming Stream Sack of Nightmares entails a Blu-ray I purchased. You know what was really awesome about... You remember HMV when it was all, like, at oh, yeah. a store and everything? The awesome part in is you'd go in there and it'd be like, Hey, you can buy three Blu-rays for $15. And you're like, oh, shit, here's one that I really wanted. But that's only one. Well, now I got to find two others so I can get the deal, right? So I just bought random Blu-rays. So back in the day, I ended up purchasing, from 2012, Byzantium. Directed by Neil Jordan. Of such other films as, get this, Interview with a Vampire. The Crying Game. And some might even remember The Company of Wolves. Like I remember walking in the old uh, VHS rental stores back in the day, and that, that uh, cover was terrifying as a kid. Or not terrifying, but pretty gross. The wolf coming out of the person's mouth. You'd flip over the box, and then there was Angela Lansbury, so it kind of calmed you down a bit, you see. <laughs> Angela Lansbury was always filling me with confidence that she would yeah. figure out what was yeah. going on. Exactly. So I'm sure the company of wolves was uh, none the different. So basically, you know what? I'm going to read you this. Uh, it's a little bigger than I'd normally do, but it, it saves me a lot of talking about it. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you the uh, letterboxed synopsis. Irresistible. Immoral. Immortal. Two mysterious women seek refuge in a rundown coastal resort. Clara meets Lonely Noel, who provides shelter in his deserted guesthouse, Byzantium. Schoolgirl Eleanor befriends Frank and tells him their lethal secret. They were born 200 years ago and survive on human blood. As knowledge of their secret spreads, their past catches up on them with deathly consequences. <laughs> Byzantium. Directed by Neil Jordan. Any questions? <laughs> oh, lots of questions, but I'll let you know. <laughs> oh, God. Into it. Oh, God. Well, I tell you what, if this film has something good going for it, it's definitely the acting. You guys know uh, Gemma Arterton? Yeah, I do. Who is she? Yeah, she's from, well, from such great horror movies uh, Hansel and Gretel Vampire Hunters. <laughs> Remember that? And then she's in, like, Quantum of Solace, The, the Kingsman, uh, you know, Rock and Roll, uh, Prince of Persia, Clash of the Titans. Anyway, she's a, a great actress. And then her uh, daughter, Saoirse Ronan, from such uh, films as Lady Bird, 
Little Women, The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Lovely Bones, and obviously Muppets Most Wanted. Obviously. Uh, yeah. She was uh, fabulous in this movie. I have a note. She has a scene where she's chatting to like this school, this school counselor, and geez, man, that I tell you, that's some good acting. Anyway, as well as her, uh, you got Sam Riley, Johnny Lee Miller, and Daniel Mays. Caleb Landry Jones is in it. He's from Get Out, The Social Network, The Dead Don't Die, X Men First Class. Oh, Antiviral, I have that movie now. The Last Exorcism? He's in a lot of goddamn horror movies here. Um, and then the director of photography or cinematography is Sean Bobbitt. And I tell you what, this particular guy did a phenomenal job. There were some very beautiful scenes. Uh, one that pops out in my mind was the old cabbage field. I was like, ooh, that's a nice looking scene with the cabbage in the foreground. <laughs> and, and blood red waterfalls. I'll get into that. So basically, it kind of starts off, the two gals are in this other town there, and the Clara gal, the Ma, we'll say, is working at a lap dancing club. Just making ends meet. I mean, they've been around for 200 years. They know how to make some money. Things happen. Some, some bad things happen. People that have been looking for them, let's say, find them, but they manage to get away, and they, they go to another town, you see, and this is where they meet uh, the Noel character. And luckily, his uh, mother had just passed away. I guess I shouldn't say luckily his mother just, but but left him with this big, huge guest house called the Byzantium. And if you guys are wondering what Byzantium means, well, let me tell you, it's a ancient Greek city, or it was an ancient Greek city, um, that uh, later became known as Constantinople. You know that song, right, Jeff? Constantinople, knees and toes, knees and toes, knees and toes. Constantinople, knees and toes, eyes, ears, mouth, and nose. What the hell are you talking about? Is that not the song, Jeff? How the hell should I know? I thought everybody knew that goddamn song. Uh, I think there's a Constantinople song, but anyway. Later, it became Istanbul, so that's where we are today. I guess Byzantium is now Istanbul. Isn't that interesting? They end up, uh, you know, kind of inviting themselves into this guy's place, and then they make another kind of kind of brothly business, eh? Because like I say, that's how she knows how to make money. The daughter meets a younger guy, and obviously sparks fly. And they end up going to the same college, and he, he wants to know more about her. And she's kind of getting a little like, she's like, oh, God, this sucks. I can't really, like, nobody can really know what I'm all about and stuff. But I, But I really need to, like let people know what I'm all about and stuff. So she kind of writes a little story of her life for him. And then he's all like, what the hell is this, you you, you weirdo? And, and so anyway, kind of starts getting out, right? But that's not a good thing because there's people looking for these two gals. I won't really get into the reason why they're looking for these two gals, but they don't want them around, we'll say. And these gals are vampires. And it's cool because you said, hey, in that Dracula movie, you never saw fangs. Well, in this movie... They didn't use fangs either, Jay. They, their, 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 their thumbnail. You see, it started growing into the shape of like this fang-looking thumbnail, and then they just like stab it into someone's neck or slit their wrist, and then just start sucking the blood right out of them. Eh? So that was pretty cool. So, so the movie is very. It's two hours long. The first big chunk is pretty slow going. It interweaves 
the past 200 years together. It shows you why they're vampires, how they become vampires, who else may be vampires, why they might be after these particular people. So it's all nicely explained through time flying and scene jumping. Flashbacks. You know what I'm trying to say? Flashbacks, even. It's an interesting way of turning into vampires. It just it involves a dark cave and blood waterfalls. Oh, such sexy, sexy blood waterfalls. I started watching with my wife. She was very tired, so it's not her fault and possibly not the movie's fault. But she couldn't finish it. She had to go upstairs to go to sleep. It did get better once she went. I, it, well, it did not. <laughs> let me just rephrase that. It, it it's slow like it's interesting enough but it's not like if you're tired you're not going to make it <laughs> but but it all you know it all gets wrapped up in a nice little package of why things happen there is gore um there's some pretty brutal gore and um and that's the thing neil jordan's like well hey if you want to make it a horror movie we got to have some goddamn blood in this movie he said so he made sure there was some blood because I was kind of watching going, well, is this a goddamn horror movie <laughs> or is it a goddamn Twilight? I'd say it's more of a horror movie than a Twilight. That's for darn sure. The acting, phenomenal. Cinematography, phenomenal. Uh, the story's pretty good. Like, it's fine. It's a pretty good... But like I say, it's a little slower. I, I say it was worth a goddamn watch, gentlemen. Um, if you're in the old Canadiaville, you'll have to rent it or purchase it from either Microsoft or Apple. But say you're like in, I don't know, where that who where else do people live? The United States. You can stream it on Showtime. That's Byzantium. Right here I have it rated a 7 out of 10. Yeah. I'd rate it a 7 out of 10. I liked it. The, the acting was like the, the two girls that they cast. It's worth watching just for them. I like them. I like them a lot. All right, Slice and Dice and Dave, thank you very much. So would you say that you said that people should go watch this, right? I think so, but I think I've warned you that it's a little slow, and it's more like watch it with your gal Friday or guy Friday. Grave Robber Jeff, you're up. What's your vampire pick? Grave Robber Jeff's Fresh Dig. Actually, we know what your vampire pick is. <laughs> Remind us what your I, vampire pick is. I did mention it earlier, unless it didn't make it through the cutting room floor. So my selection was 1998's Vampires by uh, John Carpenter, or directed by John Carpenter. And like I mentioned, I had DVD. It turns out that it was a full-screen DVD and not a widescreen DVD. Oh, oh that's I hate when that happens. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was definitely an experience remembering what that screen size was like. And uh, I don't necessarily want to watch many more like that. It's just so... <laughs> So small. Oh my god, it's weird. You said that you're claustrophobic, so this can't help. Yeah, it's very bizarre. But still, the picture's like way bigger than what we had as kids. And we always watched like square TVs back then. Or I can't believe that that's what we watched for so long. So Vampires follows James Woods. If we all remember James Woods, we talked about him in... Uh, he was in Videodrome. Uh, Videodrome, yeah. So this is about... 14 years after Videodrome came out. James Wood plays Jack Crow, who's the leader of a, uh, let's say, a vampire hunting team that uh, goes around trying to hunt vampires and 
pretty much exterminate them at the earliest convenience. And so the movie starts out with they're in the middle of the desert on the trail of a vampire nest. There's quite a lot of action at the beginning, clearing out this nest, and, and they're pretty successful. But they don't manage to find the master vampire. And, and this really bugs James Woods. He's like, well, where the heck is this guy? And later that night, while they're at the uh, hotel, partying and having fun with, with hookers and blow, um, <laughs> the master vampire appears and, and does some damage in a very gruesome ways. So one thing, if you're a fan of decapitations, there's quite a few decapitations in this movie. Apparently, originally, it was supposed to be an NC-17 or something rating because it was too gory. Um, so they cut some stuff out and then it brought it back down to uh, an R-rated movie. Other than uh, James Woods, we've got Daniel Baldwin, who plays one of his teammates. And apparently, it was originally going to be Alec Baldwin. But he got busy doing something else, so he said, uh, Hey, why don't you use my brother? And they did. Oh, I should also mention that John Carpenter was kind of added as the director uh, a while later. So this movie was in the works for, for quite a while ahead of time. And they had a lot of different actors involved in mind for James Woods that didn't work out. But John Carpenter came along kind of kind of near the end of, of the scripting process. And what happened, which I guess I'm kind of deviating from the plot here, but the movie was actually originally based on a novel called Vampires written by John Stakely. But just before the movie was set to start shooting, the studio said, hey, you've only got one third of the budget that we originally promised you. And so John Carpenter got involved, like rewriting a bunch of it. And they, they pretty much had to completely redo the whole thing in a short amount of time. And actually, the movie is a, an hour and 50 minutes, so it's quite a long movie. And then the author, uh, John Stakely, in the end says, it's got a lot of the lines from the book, but none of the plot. So, so they pretty much came up with their own plot off the bat. And that, that's one of the things where I think this one could have been a lot better than, than it ended up being. I'll just go and finish the plot right now. So after the master vampire shows up and wreaks some havoc, the rest of the movie is, is trying to get this crazy vampire guy that none of the hunters have seen anything like him before they consider him some kind of like super vampire and that's pretty much it and that's that's the story the main bad guy vampire i thought was was a really creepy looking dude and i thought they did a good job with with that character played by thomas ian griffith and the one other interesting thing with the story is one of the the hookers from the hotel played by cheryl lee who is from twin peaks and i think a couple other things gets bit by this this master vampire and then she gets this kind of what is it like tele tele telepathy <laughs> is that it and so so they make the plan that hey we can use this lady because because she's connected to him and i have to say her performance I, I really enjoyed she did a really good job and james woods i guess i didn't have too much of an issue with james woods he did all right and daniel baldwin is okay the main issue with the movie was there is a big kind of gap between action sequences like it starts out very strong where there's a bunch of action a lot of cool stuff going on but then there's just this massive gap where, where not a lot happens 
until kind of the ending sequence where there's some action at the end but but it's very underwhelming i've got to say how it how it all wrapped up and i don't know if that's just because of how how they had to throw something together because of the budget cuts it just it wasn't a very satisfying conclusion even though the movie on the whole wasn't too bad the action sequences themselves were were full of gores for the gore hounds i don't really know if it was that scary because there wasn't really any chance to be be surprised because it's kind of like it was more like a i've seen people consider it kind of like a vampire western in a, in a lot of ways and i, I can see that where where you kind of know you're up against all the time and like people are dying kind of brutally but it's not really that scary it's kind of just a it's kind of more of an action movie in that kind of way wonder what it is about vampires that seems to be able to cross genres so much like this. Like we were talking about how many action vampire movies there are that really aren't horror movies. This sounds like another example of that. Yeah. And then just like the fight scenes seem to be consistently pretty gory, which I guess if there's gore in movies, is that kind of like, does that tip it into the horror bucket? I'm not sure. Not always, I suppose. But I guess vampires are monsters, and monsters are horror, so what can you do? Yeah, I was curious about the origin story in your movie there, because they did come up with a, an interesting origin story for the, for the master vampire, which I don't think I'd seen done before. Man, it just could have been a lot better than it was, because the bad guy was so cool. The fight scenes were decent. It just fell a bit flat, I gotta say. Um, Interesting. I, I, now, I haven't seen it for numerous years. Probably probably rented it within the first year or two after it came out. And I remember liking it. So, so I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to re-watch it and see, uh, see what I think. Well, that's the thing. Like, it wasn't a bad movie. It's not getting low rating by any means. I'm going to give it a 6.5 out of 10. Hey, that's higher than you, a normal rating of yours. So you must have liked uh, Interesting. Yeah. You just think it's it could have been better. I just think it could have been better because cool. the just the coolness of the bad guy and the good performance by Cheryl Lee and and I didn't mind James Woods. Some of the reviews I've read really criticized him, but it seemed to fit for me. I didn't have any issue there. Oh, the one other thing I wanted to mention was the the music was really good, and I think uh, John Carpenter did the score. I think he did the score for his other movies too, if I'm not mistaken. Which is kind of neat that you've got the ability to do both. Uh, but the soundtrack was just, it added a lot to the battle scenes and stuff like that. Yeah, that's one of the things that makes John Carpenter so unique and effective is that he was doing that all the time, creating these amazing scores to go along with his movies. Yeah, talk about a double threat. Speaking of amazing scores, should we talk about the mutilator? Should we just sing the theme song together right now? <laughs> We'll pack the car with escape in mind Forgetting about classes, leaving books behind Time to get away Empty cottage sitting on the shore Tourists all left about a month before And we're gonna have a good time Gonna have a good time Yeah, we're gonna have a good time We're going on a A ball break, walking in and head Let's rock and roll, fellas. And now watch out for our feature presentation. 
Alright, so why did I pick The Mutilator from 1984 as our feature review this episode? That's a good question. Why, Jason the Terrible? I'm not sure I have an answer for that. I think a little while ago I had heard a review of it on a on a podcast. And then when I initially signed up for Shudder, man, that's about a year now, I went to look for it and I couldn't find it. So I was disappointed. And then last week I saw that it was on Shudder again. So I said, hey, let's watch The Mutilator and talk about it on Watch Out Horror Movie Reviews. So that's why I picked it. Oh, that's too bad. I was expecting a little bit more of an interesting story, but you know what? It is what it is. Uh, Take it away, Jason the Terrible. All right, so here's a quick synopsis. A college student named Ed, who accidentally killed his mother as a child, is asked by his father to go help close up his fishing cabin at the beach. He doesn't really want to do this, but his friends who are looking for something to do over the fall break, convince him that it would be a great idea and a great opportunity to hang out at the beach. However, they don't know that his crazed father is there stalking the place, ready to pick them off, one by one. (laughs) So this movie was written and directed by Buddy Cooper with a co-directing credit by John Douglas. It had a budget of $450,000, and you know what the first thing I thought of when I saw that? Um, no. That's actually less money than The Toxic Avenger, which was my pick for the low budget a couple of episodes ago. Well, then that wasn't really a low budget, was it there, Jay? Way to yeah, go. I've been batting a thousand on picking movies for the mini-reviews. But anyway, I think I redeemed myself this time with the, the original Dracula, so there you go. This movie was shot in Atlantic Beach, North Carolina, over 29 days, and it was shot in chronological order, with the climax oh. shot in one night. Apparently, the cast and the crew stayed at a nearby hotel that was owned by Buddy Cooper's family. And he now owns that hotel, and a lot of the crew still work there. So this this was definitely kind of a low-budget movie. It would have fit right in with our low-budget talk a couple of episodes ago. Now, did we mention that it was originally called Fall Break? We're going on now. Fall Break! People might get confused watching like I did, and I had to like restart oh, we, it. We'll, we'll, we'll say it. We'll say it. We'll, it was originally called Fall Break We're going on now. when it had its theatrical release. However, when they went to home video, they changed it to The Mutilator because the marketing guys thought that might sell some extra VHS. Because Fall Break, I mean, while it does yield an awesome theme song, it doesn't exactly scream slasher movie. The Mutilator, however, does kind of scream slasher movie, so some someone had the bright idea to to slap that title on it after the Yeah, you can't, you can't really get away from horror with a, with a title like The Mutilator. By sword, by pick, by axe... Bye-bye. <laughs> the Mutilator. I was examining that tagline. You said sword, pick, axe, bye-bye. I don't think there was a pick in there, was there? I don't... Oh, I was going to say I don't think there was an axe. <laughs> oh, there so was an axe. All there was, all there was was... <laughs> well, I was thinking the old, uh, like, classic wood-chopping axe, eh? It, there wasn't quite a classic wood chop in it. No, there was a battle axe, which yeah, which led cool. to the great line when they show up at the cabin. It's like, oh, my dad's battle axe is missing. <laughs> it sure was. I hate you know when what, battle oh, yeah, axes yeah. go missing. I guess that's kind of taken a sl- step back to the original story 
like a, the original chunk at the beginning of the film, right? What happens at the beginning? The missing battle axe, you see? His missing battle axe? Your, Instead your wife of the ball and chain? Yeah, oh. battle axe. You're old. You're old. That's... Don't they call them battle axes? Wives? <laughs> well, it's, I'm probably well, going to get divorced after. <laughs> well, it's not the funniest oh, joke, but I guess it makes sense. Gee, now I know how it feels. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah, Jeff, take it away, man. What happens at the very uh, tip of this uh, f- f- film? The opening sequence, I would say, is a bit disturbing because it shows the dangers of having unlocked guns in your house. So poor young Ed thinks that he's doing his father a favor when he's cleaning his guns out. Unfortunately, while cleaning the guns out, it goes off and kills his mom in in a heartbreaking scene, I, I guess you can say. Yeah, obviously what happened was an accident, but I found that the dad's reaction when he shows up at the house, obviously he must have snapped. But when you see your son huddling over your your bleeding wife, is your first reaction, hey son, you killed your mom? Or wouldn't it be like, what happened? Like maybe someone broke into the house and killed the mom. Why would you assume your son shot your wife? Uh, yeah, I mean, in, in real life, I guess uh, you're correct there, Jay, but this is a uh, a fictional film that we're talking about. Okay, if you answer that to every question I have about this movie, this is going to be a short podcast. <laughs> One thing I'll say about that, I guess he was the dad was a hunter, and I think they were in a cabin in the middle of nowhere, so I think the odds of someone showing up would be pretty pretty slim. No, I didn't get that sense at all that they were isolated there, but I guess I wasn't paying attention. He came oh, back man, you with a duck. You picked this movie. Yeah, he was hunting. <laughs> he came back with a what? A duck or two. Well, yeah, but you can come back with a duck from a day of hunting and still live in the suburbs. A highly lives in the suburbs and goes <laughs> duck hunting. So, yeah, the dad goes nuts. So cut to some years later where... Ed Jr. is now in college, and Ed Jr. is played by Matt Mittler, who is one of the only members of the cast to to go on to star in any sort of regular acting career for the next few years. He showed up in Breeders and Basket Case 2, as well as doing some voice work for Pokemon stuff recently. And he also directed and starred in a short called Dick and Jane Drop Acid and Die, which sounds a little bit like a public service announcement, I gotta say. I, I seem to be a sucker for, for exotic film titles, and this is one that jumped out at me. Ed's got his friends around the table at the diner. We've got Ruth Martinez as Pam, Bill Hitchcock as Ralph, Francis Raines as Linda, and Maury Lampley as Mike. And they're talking around the table about what to do for fall break, and they're stealing each other's beers in a way that friends shouldn't steal beers, like buy your own beer, don't drink from the same bottle. And Ed gets a phone call from his dad saying, hey son, I know we haven't talked for the last few years and, and you think I probably hate you significantly, but will you come and clean up my fishing cabin? Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Mike picks up Sue, played by Connie Rogers, and they all head off. You get the the title screen saying fall break. You get the song singing fall break. break. And as Grave Robert Jeff says, you check that you picked the right movie because he thought you were watching the mutilator. 
Now, did you guys think Maury Lampley looked like somebody? He looked so familiar to me, but apparently this is the only movie he's done. Apparently, most people in this movie, this is the only movie they've done. Maury Lampley struck me as probably the, again, Slice and Dice and Dave, you don't like making comments about people's acting ability, but in a movie full of questionable acting performances, his was the questionablest. <laughs> but you know what was funny? Like, I, I have to agree with you. Obviously, they weren't the greatest actors I've ever seen in my life, but I kind of liked that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, the movie, I don't know what to say about this movie yet. I guess I'll say it when it comes around to my part, but the acting is probably one of the better parts of it. <laughs> and that's, that. yeah, that's not saying much, but, but Grave Robber, why did, who did you think this guy reminded you of? I don't know, he just looked familiar. To kind of echo your comments there, Slice, and I wouldn't say that the acting was one of the best parts per se, but I would say that most of the characters I didn't mind. Even if it was subpar acting, I didn't mind the characters. They didn't really grate on me so much. I mean, I, I didn't like Mike very much, but other than that, they were likable characters. I didn't mind them. Yeah. I didn't want to see no, them get attacked they, by boat motors and pitchforks for sure. and stuff. To be to be fair, I like Ralph, for instance, Bill Hitchcock was <laughs> I found like for some crazy reason he just annoyed me beyond all belief. But then maybe two thirds of the way through, I actually really started liking him. <laughs> I don't know why. And I said he's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie now. Yeah, well, he there started off as a joker that just wasn't very funny. He's the guy stealing <laughs> everyone's beer, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I liked him, and by the end, it was he was a funny guy. But yeah, I don't think you want to watch the movie for the acting, I guess. Like <laughs> Benny Moore plays a cop, and he originally was in 2000 Maniacs, and he's a very kind of recognizable guy to me, but he's only been in seven movies. So not much to talk about in terms of degrees of Kevin Bacon and stuff. I wonder I wonder if there's more than six degrees of Kevin Bacon on this movie. This would have been something to look at. <laughs> you should have looked into it. Yeah. So does anybody know the story of Buddy Cooper then and how this thing came to be then? I think this is a guy that wrote his own movie, wanted to direct his own movie. He must have raised half a million bucks and, and just did it. It's quite obvious that this movie is a paint-by-numbers slasher type movie that came out right in the heyday of the 80s slashers. It follows that template to a T. I don't have too much more information on on what he's doing, other than the fact that, and this was quite unintentional, but this past December, they announced that they're working on a sequel to this damn thing. You don't say. At least one of the cast members is listed as being involved in the sequel, and Buddy Cooper is involved in writing and directing it, so... There you go. Well, it'll have my money, that's for sure. Do you know what's funny about this particular movie? Even though I'm going to be giving it a pretty low rating, fellas, not to spoil the uh, my rating, I actually enjoy watching it even though I don't think it's that good. <laughs> Isn't that weird? And I've already seen it twice, and I wouldn't be against watching it again in like five years or something. Isn't that weird? Like I said, it's a paint-by-number slasher movie. It, it's a formula that if you're a slasher fan, that for some reason you can't get enough of, right? Like the, the movie has some pretty inventive, very makeup-worthy kills that most slasher fans would enjoy watching. And that's 
what this movie has going for it. It doesn't have to do any more than that. All right, just so you guys know, the Kevin Bacon number is a, an astonishing three. On this one? On this one. How the hell is that possible? So Matt Mittler was in Legacy of Lies with Scott Adkins, who was in Section okay. 8 with Mickey Rourke, who was in Diner with Kevin Bacon. Oh, my God. F you, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> so that's that comes cur- that comes courtesy of oracleofbacon.org, <laughs> which is a great little great little program that the that they've created I love, here. I love the internet, man. And what was that game they were playing? Were they playing like hide and seek or something? Oh God! Like, okay, well, it was, okay, I couldn't I, really understand what was going on. Blind man's bluff. Oh. Well, we'll get to the blind man's bluff. Let's let's just say that when they oh. get to when they get to the cabin, they notice that it's full of beer bottles as if someone was just there. And the aforementioned battle axe is missing. And Ed's like, Well, my dad probably just took it with him. Mike and Linda decide to head down to the beach to spend some quality time and, and everyone else decides to play Monopoly. Until they figure they should go try to find Mike and Linda. And of course they can't find Mike and Linda. Because things are starting to happen slowly in a slasher sort of way. People are starting to get picked off without the other characters really realizing that. And the script goes to extreme lengths to keep the characters unaware of what's going on until the last possible instance. So as far as the characters are concerned, Mike and Linda are out having fun on the beach for, I guess, what, like six hours or something like that? Yeah, It was a long time. To be fair, like, I mean, if you're, they could be out there doing things, you know what I'm saying? I guess six hours is quite a long time. I take that back. So one of the things they do to pass the time, once it gets dark, is they play a game of Blind Man's Bluff. Well, for one thing, I've never played Blind Man's Bluff the way they describe it in here. I don't know if they're playing it faithfully to the rules. That's not my issue with it. My issue is that it's supposed to be a game played in the dark, where you're trying to find other people in the dark. And the way it was filmed, it was brighter inside that place with all the lights off than it was outside. You get the characters groping around on the walls and bumping into things where they can clearly see where they're going. It completely screwed up the suspension of disbelief for me. It was supposed to be dark, and they just filmed it that way so that you could see what was going on. But as far as the characters were concerned, it was pitch black, and it just didn't work. Yeah, so that was a bit strange. Because I guess I kind of at the very beginning missed like the rules of said game. So you explaining it to me how it should have been pitch black really makes sense. Because I'm sitting there going, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> they, they can see each other. What's going on here? It seemed very stupid. Yes. But was. entertaining. <laughs> stupid yet entertaining. And you know what? Back in the day, I probably would have liked to play Blind Man's Bluff. As with any slasher movie, the strength or lack thereof will be in the creativity of the of the kill sequences and the implements involved. And, and this one does its best to hang in there with the heavy hitters. So we've got a boat motor, we've got an axe decapitation, we've got pitchforks to the neck, which is actually it was listed more as a flounder gig, which I guess is a fisherman implement that looks like a pitchfork. We have a drowning that was supposed to be a spear gun that they couldn't get to work. Then we have a fishing gaff, which features on the movie poster, 
as this huge fishing hook. What they do with this fishing hook just seems to be a little uncalled for. Well, I mean, to be fair, killing anybody is kind of uncalled for there, Jay. Yes, well, I know that. And I know it's a horror movie, and it's fiction. Thanks for pointing that out. Well, I mean, what? Oh, God. Well, this is the thing. I originally, I originally thought he did something with that particular fish hook. But then there was an angle of camera where it didn't seem like what I thought he did with that fish hook actually happened. So is that what you're referring to? Do you actually think that what I thought happened did actually happen? Am I wrong thinking it did not actually happen? (laughs) If I can follow your logic there. (laughs) Yes, I think what you thought actually happened actually happened. And that the angle... The angle of the dangle, as they say. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pretty uncomfortable place to put a large fish hook. Which is terrible. Is that what you want me to say? Yes, it's goddamn terrible, Jason the Terrible. I suppose it deserves its own trigger warning because it is a particularly nasty kill. Considering you watch the beginning of this movie and it's so lighthearted with the music and all, there are a couple pretty goddamn horrific kills. There's a lot of goddamn mutilation going on, some might say. Interestingly enough, most slasher movies don't go there. But this one does. So... Be be aware. I guess it's hard to not talk about it yet still give her trigger warning. And the unfortunate thing is the poor the poor lady who had that happen to her, that wasn't the only thing that happened to her. I think she had it the worst, we'll just say. <laughs> poor gal. She didn't deserve that. Well I and I think it. I think the thing too is that it was so badly acted that in particular that scene had it been acted better, it would have been something that would disturb me for much longer. It was just her lack of reaction to everything. That might have been the reason I was kind of like, well, did that happen or didn't it? Her reaction to that happening would have been 10 times worse. You think it would have been quite an issue. (laughs) It was still disturbing to me. I just thought she was in shock or something. Oh, yeah. Maybe you're right, Jeff. See? Jeez, we're always so quick to judge. I tell you. And then <laughs> Jeff just, just brings one man's us, opinion. He just brings us right back to going like, you know what, if that happened to you, you'd be like, holy, ho- holy shit, did that just happen to me? <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> Any other set pieces stand out for you guys? The makeup effects are pretty good. Well, there's, there's a couple of things that I'll uh, touch on. Yeah, I liked how it was like such a secluded area, right? You know, so there's not like people, too many people around and stuff and. I didn't care for, near the beginning, the scenes of him just, like, staring at people and breathing and stuff. It, it wasn't it wasn't as creepy as, say, like a Black Christmas or something, where there's people just sitting there staring at you, you know, behind, hiding and stuff. If I found it a little more annoying. Well, the, different, um, the difference here that we sort of touched on but didn't is that we know, we know who, who the killer is. is. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like a suspenseful thing to you so much, right? Well, you're not wondering who it is. It's like, oh, this, you know, you're being put into the POV of the killer as usual in a slasher movie, but you you know whose POV it is. You're not wondering and having that anticipation of why the camera is showing you what you're showing. You you know that the this guy is here and you know that he's going to do something. Yeah, there's not a lot of suspense to it. In fact, it 
in some scenes near the end, when you get thrown into that point of view, you then know that he's nowhere near some of the other characters that you were concerned about. So you're like, okay, well, it kind of eases the tension a little bit. So mm-hmm. I'm sure they didn't mean for that to happen. But One thing I thought they did well was, was the sound effects whenever the killer was walking around. Yeah, sorry, Jeff. It kind of reminded me of the Cannibal Holocaust music a little bit, eh? I found it wasn't quite as creepy and off-putting, but I, I found this creepy score was okay. Well, a couple of things that I didn't like. The whole scene in the pool. I mean, call me crazy, but there's no way that that could play out that way. Like, there's no way that there could be two people in that pool and not notice what was going on. But they were playing Marco Polo. And actually, they poured milk into the pool for the filming so that it would be more cloudy. But still, there's no way, even if you're playing Marco Polo, that you could not notice what was going on. Chlorine really stings the eyes, you see. (laughs) That's a good point. I always wonder how people open their eyes underwater. Jesus Christ. (laughs) They did mention that there was lots of chlorine and whether they should swim in there. And he's like, no, it's better if there's chlorine. You should. It's probably healthier. (laughs) There you go. Well, and as if that that pool would be drained by then, wouldn't it? They're shutting for the winter. No one's around. Come on now. Is there anything else we can talk about here, pals? One thing that I, just to expand on the renaming thing, when it was originally released, it was released without a rating because the MPAA was going to give it an X. So they tried to release it unrated. And so a couple of theaters, including one in New York, played it without the rating, but when they tried to get into middle America and get advertising for this movie, they couldn't get any advertising for the release, so they had to go back and make some cuts in order to get the R rating. There was something like 26 seconds of cuts made to the one particular scene that we talked about so much before they could get the R rating. I think when Arrow Video did its release, they ended up finding a fully uncut version and that's what they released. So I'm assuming that that's what we saw on Shudder as well. Though you got, you watched it on Tubi, Slice and Dice and Dave, but Shudder generally has the uncut stuff as far as I Are know. Are you saying I got to go to Shudder now and watch that scene over again and compare the two between that and Tubi? Well, I'm I'm curious whether there were any differences between those two versions. All but... right. All right. Hold tight. I'm going to do it right now. Oh, here we go. I'm watching the whole thing. How exciting. She, she doesn't scream or anything? Why wouldn't she scream? At any point. Okay, there's that, yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's an angle that's completely off there. But um, it's the exact same thing that I saw on Tubi. All right, should we get into our rating segment, gentlemen? Yes. All right, Slice and Dice and Dave, how about a scary rating? One of the... The reasons I get scared is because of the unknown in a movie, right? Because you kind of know who it is already. That takes a little bit of the scare factor away. Not all of it, but a pretty decent chunk. I wasn't very scared watching this movie. And I'm not saying that to be a big tough man or anything, but... I mean, I guess it's kind of suspenseful at times near the end, you know? I'd give it a three and a half out of ten. What do you guys think? I would give it something around a four and a half to a five. I mean, you're right. If you know who it is that's doing all the killing and you're seeing from their point of view, then it sort of takes the edge off a little bit. But there were some times when when you could be scared. 
I'll come in with a 5 out of 10. They made good use of sound to make it a bit freakier. and It's, it's pretty much all in the dark, except for that one game where it's completely light. The one time sense. when it should be completely dark, it is. <laughs> uh, but yes, you're right about the music, Jeff, or the sound effects. Because yeah. even though the acting wasn't great, I still felt bad for those guys, and you still feel, oh, I don't really want them to die, you know. Moderately scary, not like super scary. All right, thank you, Grave Rubber Jeff. How about a Disturbometer rating, Grave Rubber? There are a few things in here that, that cranked up the Disturbometer a bit. Like even the opening scene I was a bit off put by. The kill we've already talked about wasn't very pleasant. There's one thing that happened at the very end that we can't really talk about, but I'd love to talk about it. Because it's something you just don't expect. And it was just another chance to be super brutal. Which shockingly was kind of entertaining. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm sure you do. We watched the same so, movie, you know. <laughs> I know. But, but that that's not really disturbing and such. It's just more gore for the heck of it type of thing. Yeah, so disturbing, I'd say like moderately severely disturbing. Like in the middle in there. Yeah, I'd say a big fat seven more disturbing than moderate actually some of the deaths were pretty gross and disturbing and then like you say the beginning and then the end and and then hooks and weird or not weird spots but spots that you don't want hooks did you see like when when there was like a cigarette lighter business that was gross even that was even gross everything was gross and disturbing but like the one piece of acting i thought was good was when ed jr saw his dad and he's like Ah, that's my dad. I, I thought that was, was actually quite believable. <laughs> the way he yeah. screamed like that. Kind of gave me the willies. Or the heebie-jeebies. Oh. Which was shocking because there wasn't any acting up until that point that garnered any sort of reaction. So in terms of the category that this movie should excel at, let's move into the gore. Uh, take it away, Jason. The terrible you haven't started with one, have you? Probably never before. I'm going to give it a solid 7 out of 10 for gore. Maybe even a 7.5. They did their best on what seemed like a limited budget. They got some good decapitations going. and The the acting job on the guy that gets attacked by the boat motor, though, was... Oh, was awesome. Awesomely awful. What? Something. Yeah. Awesome. No. Come on. That, I'm what telling would you, you do if you were getting your chest ripped open by a boat motor? You'd do exactly what he did. I don't think I'd do exactly what he did. <laughs> well, prove me wrong. <laughs> no, that's okay. So, yeah, as far as the gore goes, there was quite a bit of it, especially near the end. That scene you were talking about there, Grave Rubber, that was one of the scenes they had to cut down on to get the R rating. Yeah, 7.5 out of 10. Let's go with that. How about you guys? Yeah, 7 out of 10 for me. Pretty gory. No controversy there. How about you, Slice, and how about you, Grave Robber Jeff? I'll give it a severe rating because it wasn't quite enough to get over the top status. Yeah, it wasn't over the top. Uh, gentlemen, let's talk about the hoots and such. Well, it's an 80s horror film, so there's going to be some hoots and such. But it's not, it's not a lot of hoots and such, as they say. <laughs> how many times can I say hoots and such? 20 seconds. There's no fornication... <laughs> I'm glad you're using the scientifically correct terms Thanks. now. 
Seems like that's uh, all they wanted to do, except in the case yeah, of one bizarre, of them. Yeah, it was bizarre, eh? Like, yeah, they all wanted to do it. but uh, So there wasn't any, but there was a little bit of uh, hoots popping up here and there. But very, I'd say mild. It's not like it's not offensive hoots and such or anything. One thing that I found noteworthy anyway was one of the guys had the weirdest pattern of chest hair that I've ever seen. And I, and I know yeah, that's, that was cool. that's probably not, you know, it's a low blow to be talking about the guy's chest hair. Unless he styled it that way, in which case he deserves it. But maybe this is the category to bring that up. Uh, it was bizarre. But, I mean, there's some bizarre chest hair out there, isn't there? All right, so should we move into our final ratings? Yes, good God, yes. So I've been rating movies a little more harshly the last little while. My last two feature review ratings have both been fours. This one is not going to be a four. This one is going to be a four and a half. I had played around with having it be a five out of ten, but... I think the four and a half points, you're getting most of them for the slasher tropes. That's about all the credit I can give for it. It's a fun slasher movie. You you watch it once and you don't think about it too much after that. Grave Robber Jeff, how about you? I would say The Mutilator is a pretty standard 80s slasher film. And so if that's your thing, you'll probably enjoy it. I guess in my opinion... I came a bit higher, I went with a 5.7, because I thought there was enough creativity in the uh, attacks and some of the music, and I don't know, it was just like a standard horror movie slasher that that's just a fun jaunt, if you're not overly grossed out by intense score effects. Alright, thank you, Grave Robber. 5.75, you said? Yeah, just 5.7. Okay. It was pretty much all about the gore of this movie. Exactly. It seems like that that's what it was was made for. Like maybe the guy was a fan of the genre and he wanted to do one and just make it as gross as he could type of thing. The thing that makes it unique is the fact that it's the father that's doing this and the we we didn't talk about the scenes where the father is fantasizing about what he wants to do to his son. Oh yeah, that was pretty disturbing. Like that that bumps up this the disturbing thing for me another point or two because that was just weird. If you want to dig into the psychology about what's going on here, it actually there is something in here that's different than most other slasher movies. I'm just not saying it's making the movie any better. Cuz yeah, the opening sequence and stuff was was unique but there were certain gaps in there too that kind of bugged me like think if they sussed out that story a bit more for me it would have been better because that because then it would have hung together better with the disturbing aspects and the slasher sequences because i was thinking of the overall like that's all that was sticking in my mind was the slasher sequences well it had all the pieces in place to be a disturbing psychological horror movie but they didn't have the filmmaking skill to execute on that part of it. I think they could just execute on what made it a what made it a slasher thing. So Slice and Dice and Dave, how about finally your final rating? Hey, thanks. Thanks, pals. Uh, not that anybody's going to listen to me after the past couple of movies I've rated highly. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go right in the middle here, a 5 out of 10. I was going to go lower... I was never going to go higher, <laughs> but, but I'll give it a 5 out of 10. The reason being, like I said, this is the second time I watched it, and I don't mind it. 
I don't consider it even that good. Like I wouldn't even buy it for six pounds on Blu-ray, like out there in England, right? Like I was like, nah, I'm not gonna buy that. It wasn't very good. I still gave it a five out of ten, and I I still kind of kind of like it. It's weird, but it's not very good. But I kind of like it. And if there's a sequel coming out, I'll 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 go and watch it. Or well, I'm sure it won't go into the theaters. But if it gets released, I'll uh, you know watch it somehow. I I really enjoyed the uh, the characters, I guess, which is bizarre, and yeah. I liked the acting, even though it was terrible. <laughs> ah, fantastic! All right, all you listeners out there in Watch Out Horrorland, let us know if you've seen the Mutilator, also known as Fall Break. Going on now. You can get in touch with us at watchouthorror at gmail dot com. You can find us at watchouthorror dot com. You can also follow us on Twitter at WatchOutHorror or on Instagram at WatchOutHorrorCast. So until next time, and there will be a next time, stay safe, treat each other well, and go watch some horror movies. We mutilated the mutilator. I've been saving that up all night. Thank you for listening to Watch Out. The opinions you've just heard have been made by three guys from Canada. Please keep this in mind and enjoy responsibly. So yes, this was based on Bram Stoker. Stoker. <laughs> that's that's perverted. Interest. Oh no, Jason. Your review was so long, my computer screen shut off. <laughs> like it goes to a screen saver and then it shuts off. So now I got to reload everything. Mm-hmm. So. I know it's so funny when you said, I'm, I'm, I picked the mutilator. I went, oh God. <laughs> in, in a heartbreaking scene, I, I guess you could say. More like a backbreaking scene, I suppose. Is that another tumbleweed going? Yeah, but yeah, that was a hardcore tumbleweed. (laughs) But the issue is, oh, there is no issue. Never mind. (laughs) That that weird dude that we see around Central Park, uh, scooping out the duck guts. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. I don't. So let's. let's Jokes aren't working tonight. So let's stop doing. It's already 9.37. It's too bad we don't have any jokes. It's funnier when we have jokes. It's just not happening. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You don't say, it's funnier when we have jokes. (laughs) I'll be damned. All right.